Welcome, folks, to the Antisocial Podcast. My name is Andy Dowling. And if you're listening from the Southern Hemisphere, you might be feeling a little bit of a chill at the moment because winter's come. It has arrived. It's officially here, and I'm freezing my balls off. Well, I was until I got a brand new Lord hoodie. That's right, folks. We have a brand new hoodie, a zippered hoodie. It's got the Redemption artwork on the back. It's a really, really cool design. You can go over to lord.net.au and go and order that. I've got a bunch left, and uh, I'll ship them out straight away to you, and I'll include some extra little goodies for you as well. But uh, lord.net.au. And by the way, I play bass in the Australian Metal Band, Lord. If you're trying to work out the connection there, how good am I with these intros? So you can go over to lord.net.au, and you can go and give all of our music a shot, and you can go and buy some sweet merchandise as well. Well, now, in addition to playing in a heavy metal band, I also host the Self Starter Podcast, which is all about small business, self-employment, and freelancing. So if that's something that you're interested in, you can go over to selfstarter.com.au, or you can search for Self Starter in the podcast player that you're listening to this podcast through. Um, we're also on Wooshka for both the Andy Social Podcast and the Self Starter Podcast as well. So thank you to Corey over at Wooshka for uh, hosting both podcasts for me. Very good. Now, one other plug, one other little bit of spam for you guys. Now, don't fast forward, whatever you do. Uh, I use an app called Raise, R-A-I-Z, and it used to be called Acorns. And what it is, it's a micro-investing app. And now I'll put a big fat disclaimer, 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 disclaimer. I'm not a financial expert, not a financial advisor. Go and get your own independent financial advice. Don't rely on me solely. Go and do your research and due diligence, if that's how you say it. Uh, but if you don't care about any of that and you're feeling a bit reckless, um, hit me up. Because what it does is it invests your spare change. It's linked to your bank account. And so every time you spend money, it gradually takes little tiny bits of cents from your transactions and builds up your spare change and then invests it into the stock market. So, you know, you're not going to make a hell of a lot of money. You're not going to be able to retire off this stuff, but it's a cool way to save a little bit of money on the side. And, you know, you might get a little bit of a return. It's all spare change. Uh, so as I said, it's micro investing. But if you want to get involved with this and you want to check it out, and as I said before, go and do your own research, go and look it up, do get all your professional advice before you make any decisions. But if you're interested, Shoot me a message uh, on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or via the contact page over at andysocial.net, and I'll give you a referral link. And what that referral link does is it gives you $2.50, and it gives me $2.50 that goes straight into your Raise account and then goes towards uh, being invested. So, you know, it's spare change. It's a little bit of pocket money here and there. You know what? It's beer money, depending on, you know, so, you know. Depends on how you look at it. So if you're interested and you want to learn more, uh, go to, I think it's actually, let me... This is really unplanned, guys. I just thought this would be a good idea to say um, at the beginning of this episode, fire out, Andy, come and get your shit together. Uh, you can go to raiseinvest.com.au. That's R-A-I-Z invest.com.au. Um, or just shoot me a message and I'll flick you a referral link and you can go and check it all out. And uh, once you set up an account and you get your $2.50 for free, oh, oh amazing, so much money, um, you can use that same referral link to then go and refer all your friends as well. So, you know what, it's something cool. Um, if you're interested, hit me up. Um, or But, you know, as I said before, go and do all of your uh, proper uh, research and, uh, you know, reading and seek professional advice. All right, enough of that. Jesus Christ, I felt dirty saying that. All right, let's cut to the chase. This week's shout out, if you're new to the podcast, each and every week, what I do is I do a shout out to somebody. I say thank you to somebody that supports this podcast. It's, you know, a whole range of different things. They buy a t-shirt, they leave a review on Facebook or Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher or wherever. Um, they send messages of encouragement. They like and share and tag and retweet and all that 
social media love. Um, they recommend the podcast to friends, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. It means a hell of a lot to me and it helps build this podcast. And it might not just be antisocial. It might be Lord. It might be self-starter. It might be anything to do with uh, anything that I'm involved with. So I appreciate all the support that I do get. So this week's shout out is for Andrew Hansen. Now, Andrew has been supporting the Antisocial podcast since day dot. And um, I can't remember when day dot was. Was that August? 2015, I think. So we're getting on now. We're getting there. Almost a three-year anniversary. Uh, and Andrew has his own production company called Accelerate It. Um, so you can go to Facebook and search for Accelerate It. Um, now, bear with me. It's I think it's facebook.com slash underscore X for X-ray, E-L-A-8-I-T. Yeah, so it's a bit of, bit of a tough, tough one to find, but um, I'll go and put Andrew's link in the show notes so you can find it really easily. But uh, Andrew, thank you so much for the support. I really, really appreciate it. I know you work hard and um, and uh, you're certainly connected with a lot of, Sid- of the Sydney music scene and you do a lot of great stuff for a lot of musos in Sydney. So thank you very much for the support and what you do. And please, when you do listen to this, uh, flip me a little reminder and I'll send you something stupid out in the post because we all like getting something in the mail. So thank you very much, Andrew. All right, this week's guest is with Riley Strong. Now, if you don't know who Riley is, Riley's the frontman of Melbourne thrash metal band Desecrator. And uh, this is an interesting chat because, okay, let me let me give some context here. We spoke for so long, I think all up, it was over, it was well and truly over two hours. However, the first, I don't know, maybe half an hour or so of the chat is gone. It's missing. It does not exist anywhere. Basically, what happened is I had a technical malfunction. It just completely fucked up, and it wasn't until later on into the chat that things started to kick back in and work properly. So what you will hear when we kick into it is a bit of a fade-in, a really, really sneaky and classy fade-in into the conversation, and we'll just try and pick it up uh, (laughs) where we were. And there's um, a lot of great things that we talk about. Um, Desecrator went on tour with Airborne through Europe, um, and we spoke about that. Uh, we spoke about all the touring that Riley and Desecrator have been doing over the last several years. Um, just some amazing tour- tours that I'm quite jealous of. And they've toured through South America, Central America. They've toured all through Europe. They've toured in Russia, like some pretty epic touring in Russia. That's crazy alone. Uh, stuff through Southeast Asia and, of course, you know, around this country as well in Australia. So a really, really cool band. If you want to go and check out their latest album, it is called To The Gallows. You can go to desecrator.net. You can listen to their music. There's video clips on there. Their website's actually really, really cool. So go and check that out. That's D-E-S-E-C-R-A. T-O-R.net. Um, and then you can find them on Facebook, but I'll have all the links to all the Desecrator stuff, um, how to buy merch, go and listen to the music, go and check out all the video clips. Everything will be in the show notes over at andysocial.net, including every other piece of information that I crap on about. So enough of me. Enjoy this really slick and classy fade in for this chat with Riley Strong of Desecrator. People who have known us mainly in Australia would know that more than anyone else. We, you know, we do have other releases out. We do have other music out, but we never sat down to do a proper a studio release uh, because we had gotten so busy touring, and we just kept going back out. The opportunities kept coming up. We kept looking for them. We kept being validated by them, and they kept happening. Um, so it just kept getting sidelined. I mean. It was something that we always knew. We were like, we're going to stop at some point and get a record out, you know? But, like, we're getting all this gr- a groundswell, but we've done it backwards. We've normally bands get an album out and then go try and throw it at everyone, whereas we've got that many bootlegs, that many live releases, and that many 
skirts around the issue of an album that we um, kind of managed to bypass it for a bunch of years because we did get so addicted to being out there and, and kind of how it worked out there because so fucking fantastic out there. Well, I, think heaps, um, I think there's heaps of bands. I mean, going back to what you said before, by going hmm. back into like a sort of a very old school way of approaching touring and, and promoting yep. yourself and acting as a band, the fact that you guys have prioritized touring first and then built mm. a catalog of you know tangible music to sell later on yeah. it's very much like a lot of bands from the 70s and 80s where it was so hard yeah. to get a record deal you'd go out on the road and prove yourself first and then eventually yeah, you, know, you, you wait for someone from a label to see you and then you get signed and then you do you know the demos or whatever and build to an album so i mean you guys have done that. absolutely you're very true to yeah. the old school approach yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I heard a thing on the on the radio the other day that that uh, like jumping out of genre, but uh, REO Speedwagon uh, re- they put together eleven albums before they had a hit. So they had eleven albums worth, and the years that it took to do that of being just a touring, hard slogging band before they finally actually had a hit and cut a great deal. And that was the way bands were back then. You know, you get a set together. And you just go out and, and flog it to people until something stuck. You just keep throwing the shit at the wall until something sticks. And that was kind of, like, I don't want to act like it was a master plan or like a, this is exactly how we're going to do this type of plan. But at the same time, in 2008, when I put Desecrator together, like on the original vision, um, it was to be a live band. It was the statement was, I'm going to put a thrash metal band together. I want to go and play European festivals and I want to play thrash metal. And it was all, the only thing we had in mind was how fast can we write some songs to get out and play some gigs. So when it came to releasing the first record, it just made sense that it was a live album because like, we want people, more people to come to our gigs. We want to get more gigs. So let's just show them what we do with every gig. So we put out a live album and it just all seem to be conducive at the time. I think that the, in, Mel- in Melbourne in particular at the time, there wasn't the Melbourne thrash scene that you hear about now. It didn't exist. It wasn't a thing. You know, When we started playing shows, we were mainly playing with death metal bands um, and just kind of existing on a people would compare us to the bands in the 80s and go, wow, I haven't heard anything like this since like Hobbs or since you know, persecution or someone from the 80s or, geez, you guys sound like a mortal sin or something. You know, we were getting all those types of references, but it it was a time that, that for us, it made sense to just go, right, well, we're having all these reactions live, but no one's really doing this right now where we are. So on a local level, let's just go, let's just do it. Let's just see how people react. Let's get in front of as many people as we can. And that gave us a framework to just play tons of shows, like whether it was local, interstate. I mean, the first ever show we played was in Adelaide. And I did that on purpose. I was like, let's go and do an interstate first. Fuck playing a Melbourne show first. Anyone can play a Melbourne show, but if you want to stand out and get a Melbourne show, let's go to Adelaide instead play over there so we went and just played a gig in Adelaide and then all of a sudden we got a bunch of Melbourne gigs because everyone's like oh they're doing stuff <laughs> and then you start doing stuff here and then other people go oh we better get them up here then all of a sudden we hopped on a, the tour with Forbidden which was our first national tour and then we went around and did that and all of a sudden the Smoke and Mirrors 
kind of start to grow and this perception that Desecrated with this band that were doing more than everyone, that was, you know, this predates, I'm pretty sure King Parrot were only just playing their first couple of shows back then and, like, the Melbourne metal scene that is so thriving now, it was still going through, like, an ebb and flow change from the death metal era, which was my youth, of going to shows like the Art House and, and venues like that, which was just grindcore and death metal and spades of it. Mm. So all of a sudden, some thrash metal was happening. In Malice's Wake was starting to play thrash metal. Uh, bands like that were doing it. And then like extreme metal bands, but in their own kind of hardcore way, like King Parrot was starting to, to pop up. So there was a whole lot of things happening. So to be timing-wise, to kind of fluke coming out of the point where we could stand out a bit more because we weren't neck and shoulders with a bunch of other bands doing the same thing. It kind of helped us create that, that, okay, we're that image of a band that was, was getting out there and doing it. And, you know, then couple that with big stage shows with big amp stacks and a backdrop and some extra lights and smoke. And all of a sudden, we were headlining shows when we should have been opening the things, you know. It was a really kind of fast succession. I don't, I can't honestly tell you if it was was benefiting us that much or beyond a night-by-night level, but it was sure making us feel like we were doing what we'd always wanted to do. So it was encouraging us to do it that way. And, like, to this day, I was... Um, you know, when people talk about the whole album coming out last year, you know, you've been around for eight years or nine years or whatever, and this is your first album, um, you know, have you done that on purpose? The thing that I like to to try and communicate to people, especially young bands and, and kids who are coming up these days, um, is that where, like as much as other bands have, uh, have kind of done this recipe, um, this band's been been almost proof that you don't have to follow the pattern that is currently in fashion of how you want to run your band. Mm. It's all, you know, when you start out, if you sit down and have a think about what your set of goals are, you know, what do you want to be as a band? Where do you want to go? What does being a band you know, mean to you? That there are so many ways to skin that cat. You know, you can be a never live playing band who just releases music on platforms and gets all of the validation that you ever need in doing that. And that can be a great existence for the rest of your life. You can be a world touring band that barely gets (laughs) released together in eight years like Mm -hmm. us. You can do whatever you want. There's actually no mold. The whole, the record industry structure, which is still unfortunately haunting heavy metal from the 80s and 90s is so obsolete and dead these days and it's not going to get you anywhere the whole idea of you have to get your album together you have to spend money you have to do this you have to do that you have to then send it to people and get them to like it and then after all of that you go out on the road if it goes well it's such a dead recipe and you really can just it's open season if you've got some inspiration at and some smarts and a bunch of good songs behind you, you can go out and do whatever you want these days. It's the it's a great time to be a musician and be a band. There's so many different 
ways and platforms that you can get your message to people that you can just do whatever you want. And it's fantastic. And I think that that's a really cool lesson that we've learned, you know? Oh, I think, um, you know, for, as you said before, I mean, there's no, there's no framework anymore. There's no rule book. And if anything, if you do something a little bit different, it cuts through the noise. So while some of those mm. tried and true methods still work, you're still yeah. doing the same thing as a lot of other bands are doing. So yeah. then, then yeah. you're in the noise category where you've got to break through and your songs might break through, but you've got to get in mm. front of people for them to be able to hear it first. And so that's yeah. finding the right opportunities to play live or putting your music out in particular platforms yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that might work and you might get lucky and you might be in the right place for the right time. But, mm. you know, to put all your eggs in one basket and just go, well, that's the only way that we can do it and then get yeah, absolutely exactly. have your heart smashed because you realise that yeah. the reality is uh, <laughs> is far worse than what you thought it was. Um, just to yeah. understand that, you know, you don't have to do any of that. I mean, I remember, I remember a few years ago um, – Rush were getting interviewed when, oh, leading up to when they were getting ready to stop playing. And I think mm. Neil Pert turned around and said, oh, well, we just don't want to do albums anymore. I think we'll just, like, record single songs and just release single songs now and that's it. Mm. Like, there's Why no, not? There's no point. And he said, and he, he said, it. I think, I'm pretty sure he said in a little bit of a pessimistic way, as in, mm. like, this is what the industry's turned into. But yeah. it was, I mean, I took it as, you know what, like, yeah, okay, it breaks the, it breaks the mold. And for me, and mm. going back to what we said earlier, you know, metalheads hate change. And I'm like, oh, yeah. man, what, what do you mean no albums? Like, I don't want to, I don't want to mm. cop just single songs. But then you think about it and go, why not? Like, why the fuck yeah. not? You know, well, if, and if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, then you've tried it and people get to experience yeah. something different. And then you pivot and you move on to the next thing and you just keep moving. Yeah. As long as you don't stop, yeah. that's the main thing. It's all about movement and it's all about, um, you know, I think, as you said, uh, the eggs in one basket is a trap that a lot of people fall into. Like, because, you, you know, putting something out convincingly, if you've got, if you're sitting at home as a musician um, and you've got a strong idea, you know, you've either written a great song that you want everyone to hear and you believe it's going to be an impacting song or you've, you've got a great idea for a band but you need to market the band. It's to do it well... Uh, takes time, often takes money, uh, it takes a bit of dedication. But the fact that if you throw all of your life force and all of your finances and everything into only one avenue, if that avenue fails, you're dead in the water, mm-hmm. you know. But so why not just do the do all the things that you think could be an option. And just dabble your toe in everything you can and do be open to as much as you can. Try as many things, no matter if they're conventional or not, and, and see what works for you and what works for your audience. You'll see the reaction. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an intuitive thing. Like audience and composer reaction is something that you can, you can track these days. You can see who's seeing what. You can see, how many people are reacting to 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 something you release? I mean, you can see what people are doing at a gig, obviously, because they're standing in front of you. But you you can gauge what people are doing, and then you can regroup because you're not locked into any ideas like it used to be. I mean, when the record industry ran the world because they had all the money and they gave bands all the money, then they put bands in all the debt, then they sold all the albums to recoup the debt. 
and then they ran the cycle again, it was a different thing because you ran to the beat of their drum. They called the shots because they had the money. You needed the money because you didn't want to do anything but play in your band, so you had to toe the line. But we're all working day jobs. We're all funding our... You know, everyone's funding their own dreams these days. Everyone's looking after their lives in the background, paying their rent through a day job, you know, putting fuel in their car through whatever avenue they can. So music is beside that. So what you do with your band is really up to what you're willing to put into your band and how many different platforms that you're kind of ready to expose your music on or or how you're ready to, to push it out is really only up to you. It's not up to anyone else's idea. So by that exact theory, that's why I've done what I've done with Desecrator for X amount of years because it's what I wanted to do with my band. You know, and definitely along the way, you know, we've been accused of of different, um, you know, different shortcomings of like, oh, well, you should have put this out at this point to do this better or you should have done that. But the fact of the matter is that, that we've run to the beat of a drum that we've really enjoyed for the whole way and we've gotten a great amount of... of experience, travel, music, connection, you know, out of the band that even if it ended tomorrow, I'd be absolutely stoked with what I achieved with this band. And that was because we just did it the way that made sense to us. No one else was doing it that way right beside us at that point, but definitely people had it historically. So I think that that, that is the real point to push out that, that I try and communicate to anyone who goes, oh, how did you, you know, how did you do this? How did you get those tours? But, but before you even think about that kind of stuff, work out what you want to do, then just work out how to do it. Like being in a band is just the same as having any life goal. Like what do you want to do with your band? Then put as many fingers, as, as many pies as you can and go out and do all the stuff, work out what works and doesn't and keep going. That's it. That's I, th- it you know? I think there's way too many people that sit back and they're strategizing about trying to work out how to do something. And they've, you know, you're, you're looking online and as you said, like people hounding you or asking for questions and asking, mm. you know, oh, how do we do this? How do we do that? But then it's sort of like, well, it's fine. There's not, no, the yeah, answer. It's yeah. great. It's great to ask and seek information. But then Absolutely. usually the people yeah. that are doing it, um, yeah. a lot of people that are doing it are not actually doing anything with what they've currently got. So they're sitting stagnant yeah. anyway. And they're yeah. really, the, the point of them asking the question is really hoping for some form of handout to go and get yeah. an opportunity and get lucky. And Absolutely. Um, I think, yeah. yeah. I think that, um, you know, it comes down to, to very simply put, like oversimplifying it, but um, the difference between the people doing it and the people who aren't doing it is that the people who are doing it are doing it. <laughs> it's, it's, as, it's as simple as that. I mean, you just you just do it, and you don't don't be scared to fall. I mean, I've gotten emails that have that have broken my heart. Like I for a lot of years, man. You know, the, in the early years of Desecrator, uh, you know, I'm I'm 33 now, um, so I started Desecrator when I was in my young 20s, like it would have been almost 10 years ago now, so 23, 24, um, I, it was it. It was all I had. Um, I sacrificed everything for it. Jobs, relationships, 
you know, you name it, I sacrificed it because all I wanted to do was make desecrator work. And that worked at the time. It was, it was perfectly applicable at that age to put that into it. But at the same time, that type of sacrifice had to be applied to putting myself out there uh, and be like being ready for rejection and being ready to fall and being able to bounce back because you are going to hear no heaps and you are going to hear um, that you're not good enough or, uh, you know, that someone that you wanted to be interested in you just, just isn't, you know, because because music is largely subjective. It's largely opinion-based. So, you know, you might get a contact for that for that perfect record deal and you think you've, you know, it's it's all ready to go and on paper your band's ready to take it. And then you, you finally get to that person, send them that perfectly crafted email and they turn around and say, yeah, I didn't really dig it, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, to, because to them, it's just a flippant moment in their day. To you... It's a heart-rending part of so many years, you know, of being prepared to finally send that email. But you have to be ready to to take that in your stride, you know. And I think that a lot of younger bands aren't as prepared for that as maybe bands used to be. I think that rejection is not getting (laughs) getting easier for the younger set. And I think that it's something that you have to be absolutely prepared for is that along with some yeses that will absolutely change your life and make you feel 10 foot tall, um, you're going to get a lot of no's. You know, you're going to get a lot of, no, that doesn't work, or no, we're not interested in you, or yeah, not the right time, email me next year, you know. And you're going to have to be able to bounce back, and you're going to have to not have your life fall apart in that same time. Um, Something that, that, that came up, uh, for us as a band, and we've been through a few different members now. The the whole of I'm pretty sure the yeah the the whole of my band has has turned around um, since its conception. Um, and something that that's come up for Desecrator over the years is it's one thing when you're young to be prepared to fuck over your life for music to leave that job to leave that girl, to put yourself in debt, to do all those all those short-term things at the chance of living a dream. But it's another thing to not fuck over your life but still do those things. And that's a vastly deeper commitment to music. It's, it's one thing to be committed to saying, yeah, I don't care what gets in the way, I'm just going to piss it off and go and play in my band. But it's another thing to say, I'm going to commit to, to living a life that will, faci- that will facilitate me doing what I want to do with music. I'm going to commit to finding a job that I don't have to quit to do those things. I'm going to commit to having a relationship that will last so that when I'm emotionally destroyed from 36 shows in 39 days, I've got someone to come home to. That I'm going to financially not only screw myself over by going out on the road for six weeks and not being able to pay rent because I'm not working, but I'm going to have enough cash behind me that I can prepay that rent before I go out on the road so that touring doesn't actually cost me anything. It just is what it is. 
that's a whole different level of commitment and that's a lot harder to find because it takes a lot of hard work, ongoing hard work and maturity that musicians and artists often don't know is involved when they sign up to wanting to be a rock star. So I think that in that same way that um, that bands, kind of especially younger bands, kind of wanting the recipe though, like wanting to know how you do these things and wanting the recipe to get out there and to get that kind of opportunity, it's more important that they go, right, am I even ready that if the opportunity turned up today that I could take it? And if I did take it, could I take it more than once so that I could follow it up? <laughs> or is this a pipe dream that even if I do it once, I'm going to come back destroyed and that's it. Because how many bands have you seen over the years who have gotten their chance, blown everything on one roll of the dice and then not been able to follow it up and they disappear for five years or whatever to try and recuperate. But the fact is, I've always said, if you go to Europe, be prepared to do it twice. Then go the third time so that you actually get known. The fourth tour, you might be lucky and it might be really successful. And by the fifth time, if you don't have a following, give up. <laughs> That's right. Go somewhere but if else. You don't, yeah. But if you don't get to five, don't waste your money on one because it's just a pipe dream, you know. It's not a business model. What do you do in life that you try once and get success or not? You have to try and you have to try again. And in order to do that, you have to have a life that supports trying over a five to seven year business plan. And I think that, that that's the most important thing that, that being a band member and a, a co, you know, a, a cohesive part of a group and a team, you need to be a stable person and have a stable life. And if you can't commit to that, then you're not actually, no matter how fast you can sweep it, no matter how fast your last beats are, you're not a good band member. Well, you just burn out, don't you? The what? You just burn out. Yeah, well, exactly. You do. You you burn yourself out. You become jaded and you join the ever-growing list of unhappy people who can play their instrument really well, <laughs> <laughs> which, which we all know. We Tons do. of people like that, you know, and they're, they're phenomenal musicians, but because they haven't had everything else around that amazing talent, it's just it's just what it is on a local level, you know, and that's that's fine too if that's your goal set. But but admit to yourself that's your goal set, you know. See your limitations, you know, because being in a band and being in an international band, being like running your band as a a constantly existing, growing, touring kind of entity, it takes a lot of upkeep that I don't think that, look, I didn't understand it when I got into it. I guess the, that I was just prepared for it. Like I was ready for whatever it took. Um, so I learned on the job and I was able to, to, to formulate what was happening enough to kind of roll my jaw with the punches so I didn't break my jaw while I was getting hit type of thing. But to a lot of people, they're just not prepared for it. And when it hits them, it just takes them to pieces, you know? And that can be the make or break of a band, just like that, you know? Well, I think one of the things with, with you anyway, just from my mm. perspective, is that 
no matter where, where whether it was day one or day now, you know, mm. everything that you're doing, you, you're enjoying the process. Like you enjoy every mm. single step of the way. And it's, it's, yeah. the, it's the show where fuck all people show up. It's the show that you're playing out yeah. like in, in some farm country, farm town out in Russia. You're playing in yep. Brazil. You break your leg. You're doing all these yep. things, but you love every single moment of it because it's all part of the story. It's a part of the bigger picture and it's that whole journey. And, and I think a lot of people lose it because they're always thinking about, getting on that massive tour and playing in front of that yeah. massive crowd and anything between now and then is mm, crap yeah. and I'm not going yeah. to enjoy it until I get to that point. And then some of them get really lucky. They get a break and then they do that big yeah. European or North American tour or they get on a, a great support here in Australia mm. and play in front of that massive crowd. And then they're left scratching their heads going, that Don't wasn't everything. Next. Yeah. Like I, yeah. that's, I'm not feeling fulfilled. And then yeah, my dreams didn't come control. true. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and even if they get that spot, the next thing they have to do after that spot is follow it up, and that's normally a much smaller show because they have to do it on their own legs. Mm. So they're back to the to what they're viewing as crap. And look, I mean, I like I guess a like a lot of people who have a lot of drive and aspiration for their you know whatever their project is. I've been guilty in the past of being so fixed on what is the next big hurdle that I miss, like I'm not present in a lot of moments. And that's something that I've learned with age is to be present in in every moment because every moment of a band is the story of the band. Absolutely. The, the few great achievements under lights are a very small part of it, and you you learn that very quickly. That that um, all the in between stuff is actually the story and the life force of the band. And if you cannot be present and take joy out of those moments, um, then you're not going to get enough validation from it in those small under light, you know, like key times to justify it all anyway. Like, if you don't enjoy the process, then the payoff is never going to be enough. It's never going to be enough. We don't get to play enough shows to to massive crowds under lights to validate seeing the other stuff as crap. You know, it'll n- never fill the void we have in our hearts of wanting to, to become true. But if we enjoy every moment along the way, if we enjoy the shitty plane flights, the la- the delirious laugh at the airports, the the fucking the broken ankle in Brazil after falling off a table, <laughs> you know, like all those moments, if you enjoy them, then you're the richest man in the world in a band. Like your band is the best place you could ever be, and it never stops being that um, that pu- pure strain garage teenage how excited am i that i can play creeping death on electric guitar moment you know what i mean like it never like going back to that pure joy of like oh you're my mate and you've got a bass and i've got a guitar let's learn a song together and the first time you play the intro riff and you both get it right together and you're like we're basically Slayer, you know, and you, and you have all those dreams of like, oh, imagine if our other mate could play the drums and it all kind of just, 
all these little fantasies turn into these great dreams. You can, I don't think that feeling, that, that raw cutting edge feeling has to leave. Like, I think you can find it in every part of being in a band if you know where to look. If you know how to be in the moment, if you know how to enjoy it, you can find it in all those backwater places. You can find it in all those shitty backstages with overflowing fucking toilets. You can find it sleeping on a fucking pool table in South America. Okay, you can find it almost side-swiping a fucking truck on an icy highway in Russia. You can find it with a machine gun uh, being pointed at you on the edge of, of a favela because the promoter hasn't paid off the fucking what, the uh, local gangs pl- as well as the police oh, for your show to go on. Please tell me that uh, story. <laughs> oh, <fuck. laughs> Man, in Brazil, it was like, it was commonplace. So we were playing a show in, it was the outskirts of, of, of Rio. We were playing this little cafe joint. And like literally when I say cafe, it, like, it was like a metropolitan cafe. It could fit like 20 people in it with a mm. tiny corner stage. But what they do is they get this giant PA and they point it out the front of the cafe onto the street and they have a street party while you're playing. (laughs) So there's actually like 400 people just block the whole fucking street. But 20 people are in front of you in the venue. It's really (laughs) surreal. And you play this gig. So we're playing the show and literally in between songs, you can hear machine gun fire in the background. Like, it's that close. Like, we played right at the end of the road. There was a team intersection, and our tour manager, who was a Brazilian guy, lovely dude named uh, Big Vic, he, um, uh, when we arrived, he said, look, today's one of those days, guys. Um, no wandering on your own. Uh, I want you in my side at all times. Uh, you see that team intersection a- any further than that, and they will shoot instead of ask questions. So this side of the team intersection, they won't shoot. That side of the team intersection, they'll shoot. No matter who you are, you could be a cop, you could be an old lady, you could be a young guy. If they don't know you, they're going to presume you're a threat. It's all drug runs, so they don't. They're just going to shoot you with machine guns. Just so stay here. So we're all like a total fear of godness because that was the first time we'd ever been told that mm. in that shorter distance because we could literally it was a stone throw at the end of the road. Um, so we're playing and we could hear the machine guns in the song. And I look out during the set, you know. Uh, you know, when you're on stage, sometimes you can be performing it. The last thing you're thinking of is either what you're singing or playing. You're thinking of like, did I wash my socks today? Or did I? <laughs> yeah, you're always distracted thinking of something else. So I'm looking out the window thinking about something. The cops the cops roll by and the promoter goes out and he pays them the money. And then a dark car with all the windows down comes past after the cops, like like fully movie mafia kind of stuff. Uh, that kind of looking car, like nondescript, unmarked black car, and it goes, and more and more of those cars are, are turning up, and it turns out the promoter didn't know that he had to pay them as well as the police that night. Uh, so it ends up, there was a kerfuffle and, and guns, and whatever. we didn't stop playing. We kept playing. It was all good. Um, the, the show went great. Yeah, that was just like a, a, a thing that was happening in the background, and then... <laughs> We didn't get told much about it until we were back in the the van and we were out of there. And then, then our tour manager's like, so guys, this is what happened tonight. I'm like, fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> that tour was a bit rough for that, though. Like, the, um, there was a lot of moments uh, earlier in that tour because we'd done Mexico before. We had to, like, uh, one day driving to Mexico City, the police wanted to 
to take all our, to take our car and impound our gear just on the back of, they said we had the wrong license plate on that day or something, you know, just things that don't make sense. They wanted to, to get like 8,000 pesos out of us as a bribe. So we were traveling with a Mexican band and they managed to beat them down to like, 2000 which I think is a couple hundred Aussie bucks and then we they let us keep our car but we ended up having to park at the underground car park because we were sure they were going to follow us and just arrest us again then get taxis with the gear to the gig play the gig taxis back get the vans out in the middle of the night and then drive out of Mexico City <laughs> but we were playing gigs where there was uh, roads that we could only drive during the day because the cartel controlled them at night oh, um, the army right. patrolled them during the day but at night, the cartel control and they kidnap people and ransom them and stuff. So a lot of the tour routing was done based on day driving. We couldn't do the after show overnight driving. So I was like, no, no, we've got to stay here tonight. So eat up, have a drink, we'll rest up. We're like, why? We could just go. It's only a couple of hours. We could stay in the place. We're like, no, we definitely got our heads chopped off. We're definitely going tomorrow. Um, <laughs> you know, so all these things, they're all just, you know, they're, they're all a part of the process. As we were just saying, they're like, you could see that as like, geez, that tour was fucked. But I see it as like, that was an amazing time. Like that was life experience. That there's, there's no way I would have had that happen. Like there's no way that, that I would have had all those experiences without this band. And that's what those stories make this band's life. And for those few, I've got 50 more. You know what I mean? Like that's the culmination of what is my life and what Desecrate has been and that's something that has been because of the way we decided to run the band and what we decided to be the was the priority of the band. I think it's great. Like I really enjoy it, you know. There's enough people out there that we don't play many shows to no one. Uh we get to go to lots of places every time we release a record, whether it's through us or a small label, people seem to buy it. You know, the next record's gonna be something that hopefully is our best to date and people who kind of hop on board and agree. We've got it's a bunch of labels umming and ahhing, so that excitement's still there even at that point. So, you know, the, all those small factors add up to the enjoyment of why the fuck would I want to do anything else? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what's different compared to a lot of other people is that, you know, your motivation of doing it is very different to what, uh, you know, potentially other people's motivation yeah. is, you know. And and for you guys, I mean, I know f- just from personal experience what I've got out of touring over the years, and, and mm. it's it's a character-building exercise, especially when you're doing mm. a DIY. And, you know, you're going through a whole range of different emotions on a day-to-day basis mm. in quick succession. And, you know, you're having what you said earlier about validation and having you know, yeah. that moment on stage where, you know, that whole day of potential shit of, you know, losing things and waiting and sitting yep. around scratching your balls and wondering what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then you finally get on stage for what might only be half an hour or, or if you're lucky, yeah. an hour or something like yeah. that. And yeah. it's all worth it. And it's all worth it. And Absolutely. It all absolves. Yeah. You know? And but the other thing is that all the other stuff that you put up with to get to that point is just mm. as valuable and and mm. they create stories, it creates resilience, it creates all this great character building stuff that yeah. makes you a better person. And a lot of people don't live in the moment enough to really understand what they're getting out of it. And I think, you know, what you guys are doing is is on an, another level again as far as putting yourselves, and I'm not saying you guys are deliberately putting yourselves into mm. really extreme situations, but you guys <laughs> are getting out there and 
yeah. and you're doing it at a level where, and you mentioned this earlier in the piece, where you're going to places where people haven't had an opportunity to experience anything like this mm. before. And so you get a better emotional reaction from the people that come to see you. And yeah. those are going to be the shows that stand out in your later years in life. Not, I mean, oh, totally. no doubt some of the bigger yeah. shows will, will, will have some imprint in your mind, in your memory, yeah. but the, but the crazy ones, I mean, these stories that you've got, they're the ones that are going to stick. Yeah. They're going to be the lasting ones. And, and they're, they're the things that are going to make, you know, your life important to you because you've learned something, you've become a better person. You've got appreciation for the, for the, yeah. the simple things that we've got in life that we take for granted. It's all, there's so many positives that you can take out of these experiences. Yeah, totally. And I think that that's, that's a big part about, uh, I have this discussion with a lot of the musicians that, <laughs> that I hang out with. Uh, I call it the over thirties club because, um, <laughs> So, so many musicians, and I did the same thing. I'm guilty of this as much as anyone else. When you're young, 30 seems really old. And when you're young, you really think that your 20s are it. If you haven't reached some level of stardom by 30, then you're going to give up. That's like a really common thing for musicians to be saying, well, if I haven't, I'll grow up at 30. You know, I'll stop at 30. I'll, I'll stop doing it then. I'll stop, you know, I'll, I'll go out and get a real job at 30 if I haven't made it. That's like a really common statement. But, um, and it really does divide the men and boys because people hit that, that 30 and uh, turning 30 is no different to 29 or 31. It's just a, a birthday. But there is, there's pressure put on it because we perceive there's pressure put on it and we put the pressure on ourselves from it. But once you break that barrier and once you, kind of evaluate that you are in it for the long haul and that music is going to mean something to you beyond an age bracket and beyond the, the social norm of, of when you might be able to do it before you need to knuckle down and get a mortgage and all those kind of things that you're apparently not allowed to have when you're in a band. Um, but but when you break that barrier, you start to, I believe anyway, this, this is mainly speaking from what happened to me because I went through a bit of a, str- a struggle with the 30 uh, bracket and I started to uh, to evaluate what music meant to me and what, what my motivations were, what my reasons were, was I happy was I going to keep doing this? Like all that, like all those questions were coming up, and it really the the thing that came out of it was all those stories, and was all of the years of of Desecrator and the effort that I've put into Desecrator and the time, the things that Desecrator have gotten to do as a band um, make up the fabric of what is my life and who I am. They make up a lot of my opinions, a lot of my perspectives, uh, all comes from being out there and doing this and from the trying, the, the succeeding, the failing, the traveling, the different cultures, all that kind of stuff. And I think that uh, once you get, get music and creating music into a light where it is, it's just part of the fabric of DNA. It's part of how you, communicate with the world uh, and therefore being out in the world feeds back who you are and once that transaction gets back to that more 
pure form, like I was talking about, that exciting form that it started at, and all this shit is cut away of, I have to make it, I have to do this, then your goal set and your mindset can be heaps more open to, it can be open and flexible, can be, it can be whatever you want it to be, and you can sit down, I remember having this conversation with the band after we got back from, um, from the Brazil tour, from the one where I smashed my ankle, I was on crutches, I couldn't walk, uh, we're back in Australia, we had to kind of uh, knuckle down and look at the album, uh, we were kind of burnt out from a lot of touring, like everyone was really fried mentally and physically. Um, and I sat down with the guys and said, all right, so what do you want to do? And they all looked at me with blank faces first. I said, no, no, it's a, it's a fair enough conversation. Like we've gone out, we've proved we can do the world. We've proved we can put albums out. We've proved that people seem to like us enough to come and bang their heads and hurt themselves. So what do you guys want to do next? We're all old now. Let's just make some decisions. And slowly but surely everyone came up with, okay, well, this is what music means to me. This is what I want out of a band. And from that, we managed to, to just get the next five years' worth of goals set out because everyone was able to go, okay, well, yeah, no. It's actually, let's think about what is the joy of music? You know, which parts do we enjoy? And for us as a band, one of the main parts is being out on the road. So that's just why we've kept doing it. That's why these stories keep coming up. That's why... It all happens because it's been the dominant force of my life for nearly 10 years now, you know, and it doesn't really look like it's going to go away. <laughs> it looks like it's just going to keep fucking doing it. But it's, I mean, um, it's, it's great that you've got something that is a part of you and you've created this thing that you've had to build and add little blocks here and there mm, and, and yeah. things get knocked over and then you just keep going. It's like the whole two steps forward, one step, uh, one step forward, two steps back sort of thing. And, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. but it's, it's all you and it's, and it's the people that you've surrounded yourself with and that's built it up to where it is now. So it's so satisfying. It's not something that you've, you've been handed the silver plate and you just, you just you take everything for granted. It's 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 oh, such a it's such a yeah, no, it's, an organic it's, thing that you've created. We really do see it as a, a very blue collar band. Like it's a very working class kind of constant maintenance band. And I think you, uh, what you just said it touches on it perfectly. Is for more this to equal a life and not just part of life. Because that's the thing is that the desecrator has majoritively been a a dominant guiding part of my life not not just an outlet to the side of of other things I do Um, and it's been the same for for most of the members in the band Um, to do that and to do it for a a long haul you really need to surround yourself with some fantastic people with some people who you see eye to eye with on most topics End of the day, you're always going to disagree on some stuff, but people that you can you can glue with, but then make up with the people that you share a vision, or in our case, uh, in our specific case, who believe in your vision. Um, you know, people who who can come in for the long haul because they're the ones who, when you think you're going to die that night. They're with you. Hmm. They're the ones when you're about to walk out on stage to three and a half thousand people in Paris, they're enjoying it with you. 
but it's all together. And I've been really lucky with Desecrate. I've been really blessed that um, people, I've had thoroughly good people uh, believe, like share my belief in this band, they share my belief in this vision and have joined in and made it their vision and added it to in that way um, and have been that kind of pure strain, you know, of of people doing it for the right reason. I mean, I'm sure part of that is how I select them, but they have to come along in the first place for me to be able to say, yeah, you're the right guy. Um, and they have, and that's been a really a saving grace of this band. Of Even though the, that we've been through members, we've been through members because they've reached the end of their natural lifespan, not because of, of many other factors. Hmm. Um, you know, some people's lifespan in music is longer than others. Um, so that's just the way it is. But there's, there's no actual, um, you know, like, geez, that was a bad choice type of thing. So I've been really lucky in that way. And I think that, that whatever you do in your life, um, that surrounding yourself with thoroughly great people is the only way you're going to succeed at doing it, especially if it's a team effort. You can't. Uh, no, man, I was having this, uh, this conversation with uh, a mate of mine just the other night, uh, and his biggest saying um, is, no man is an island. And he has to, he's a singer in a band as well, he has to remind himself of that all the time, because he's a singer and a, a visionary and a driving force of, of a very big rock and roll band, and um, he's traditionally done everything on his own, which is, uh, uh, for many years I did that as well, you do it all yourself, you keep it all in-house, but... Um, but you have to realise at some point that you need to involve other people and therefore you need to put your trust in people and you need to, to delegate jobs to people and you need people to feel a, a sense of belonging by by buying into your beliefs as well and by sharing the burden and the load. So to do that, you need people who are, are fantastic. So they're just going to be there through thick and thin, you know, and that's a huge part of being in a band and something that I've been really lucky that I've always had great musicians and good philosophical people to share some time with, you know? I think it's a really healthy way of looking at things as well, especially when you said before about, you know, the people that have come and gone and understanding that, you know, certain people have a lifespan and not everybody's in music for the yeah. long term. And people, are they burst, they've got a, a burst yeah. of light and then they, they fade out and, and that's just life. And I think because you've already got those expectations of people and understand mm. people, um, everyone's different, then you're able to handle and handle those moments when people come up to you and say, look, mate, I'm, I can't do this anymore because of A, B, and C, and you're totally cool with it because you already understand yeah. it, and then you pivot. You make that decision and you keep moving, whereas other people don't – they expect everybody to be on the same level of dedication that you are, and when totally. and they I just aren't, then it's all over. I just don't think that that's a, it's realistic for anyone in, in any walk of life to believe this, that just because you're, you're – in something for something that, that someone else is going to be the same. I think that everyone has their own experience mm. and that, that even though you might have the same goal set at the start, um, that you mightn't have as much rope in you both or their goal set might change and they might turn around before you and say, you know what, I'm happy. I've done everything I needed to do. Um, you know, I think you should keep going, but I've done what I needed to do. And you have to let those people, you know, 
be at their own pace and be able to walk away at their own pace. That's important as well. And I think that, that to be in a band that exists on a working class level or an independent level or a non completely looked after level, um, that you have to understand that's going to be part of it because challenges are always going to arise and people's goals are going to change. You know, just because I don't want to have kids at any point in my life uh, because I'm happy with dogs and cats doesn't mean that someone else doesn't want to have a kid. And if they want to have a kid, they might need some bloody time off to do that. So I can't expect them to, to align with my values on everything as well as heavy metal. So you have to understand that you have to work with people. And sometimes it's frustrating as hell when you, know, when you want to do something or an opportunity's come up and, and someone else is like, no, but this is, it can't work because of this. It feels like they're putting that thing in the, you know, in the way of your success and it's, it's quite a hard thing to take. But if your understanding of the diversity of everyone in your band whilst knowing in the back of your mind that you all do still want the same outcome, then there's always a moderate solution. There always is. Somewhere between your outrage and their demands is a moderate solution, and if it has to happen, it'll still happen. You know what I mean? That's it. Uh, and I think, you know, that, that is something as well. That's part of the Hope of Birdies Club, is, um, is people's lives accelerating off in different directions, but still sharing a dream, so still making it work, and realising that, no one can be militant and and kind of stick to their point unrelenting. You always have to have that compromise in anything. It's a relationship. I mean, a, a band is a dysfunctional is a dysfunctional relationship with four dudes or five dudes or however many. So you've got to feed it in the same way you would a you know any relationship with anyone, whether it's a working relationship or a personal relationship. And that's always going to take compromise. And that's that's a a huge part of a band's life. I mean, there's certain things you shouldn't compromise on. Like, if one of your band members wants to wear shorts on stage, um, I definitely wouldn't compromise on that. Or if someone in your band decides that, like, an Ibanez is an acceptable thing to own, um, I'd definitely be, I'd be looking at what was behind that because that's normally a symptom. Normally something like a decision like that in your life, it's a symptom of a greater problem like heroin. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but, you know, those things are extenuating circumstances. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. And, and, I mean, the other thing is that when you, when you understand what people's motivations are and understand that not everyone's going to have the same level of dedication yeah. as you do, then it means mm. that you get the most out of that person in that space oh, of time totally. that they're there. So even if you know that person's only going to be around, around for a couple of years, and but you mm. get the very best of that person in those two years, then, I mean, ultimately, they're contributing to the larger picture, which is, in yeah. your case, Desecrator, and that's going to be yeah. for, you know, for however long that exists, and that's part of mm. your life. So the, the two years that's Yeah, and you get there, to enjoy this great snapshot, and you get to always have those memories together, and you get, because you haven't been focusing on the, oh, they're only going to last two years and they're not in it and this and that and picking holes in it, you get to go to remember those two years as all the fantastic things that happened. 
you know, we've had guitarists, uh, bass players, we've had different members come in just for individual tours. Um, you know, just just come in and give it a go. On a like, we need a guy, so you're the solution. And if you like it, uh, let's talk about you staying afterwards. Uh, it's got to the end. They're like, that was amazing, but I don't want to stay because I couldn't do that over and over again. And you're like, sweet, we've always got that time. That was the thing that happened. You helped us out because we got to go and do that thing. We gave you the experience that now you can say, I don't want to do that anymore, but I don't wonder about it because I got to go and do it and it was great. And we get to meet up and talk about all the fun stuff that happened all the way along the way, you know? And, and the other thing, that, I'll go, sorry. Yeah, okay. Oh, I was just going to say, the, the, the thing that you've alluded to a few times here, and I don't know, you might have actually mentioned it, but I mean, the way that your band is, and every band should be this way anyway, the mm. band's a business, but you mm. I mean, a lot of the way that you describe the band and the functionality of it all is very sort of business-like in the sense that yeah. when someone is employed to, to work for a company and they're there for mm. a couple of weeks or a couple of months or a couple of years... No matter how long they're there for, you hope that they're contributing because you're, I mean, you know, in music, we don't always, we're not always able to pay someone, mm. but in a, in yeah. a business, we, we pay someone to do a job and you mm. expect them to do the best job possible. But part yeah. of that is you yeah. give them everything they possibly can. And then when they walk away, yeah. they walk away saying that they had an experience, they got what they, what they needed mm. out of it. But then whenever that business name is mentioned in conversation anywhere else, you've got somebody mm. out there that's saying, great things mm. about you as well and yeah, that's absolutely. massive for for your reputation and having more people out there that say great things about you means a hell of a lot yeah. instead of other bands i know that just let go mm. of band members and then bitch and complain and gossip about yeah. it and then that just ruins I, your band name ruins your reputation nothing worse like like life's too short to get caught up in the politics and the and the bitching of stuff like like the amount of time and energy you could spend on a negative point that that did nothing. Like like let's face it, you you say something negative out loud. It doesn't make you happy for saying it because you're thinking of the negative thought. It doesn't make the person who hears it happy because they've had to hear a negative thought. It doesn't make the person who it's about happy because they're getting talked bad about. And the follow-on is they're going to say something negative. So it just breeds more negativity. In the same space of fucking time that took, you could go do something productive with your fucking band, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, I just, I don't get it, man. It's too short to get caught up in that stuff. And, you know, you would have seen countless bands do it. And I've seen countless bands do it. And I've just, I've always made a, a conscious effort to not be a part of those type of things. Um, you know, it's just, there's enough to enjoy out there that just just focus on the good stuff and keep going. And you know the the whole thing of there is a knife edge, I believe, between your band becoming a revolving door of members and therefore not taken seriously, and your band going through the amount of people it needs to to keep driving forward. And I'm conscious of that. Um, I've always been, I mean, I would have loved to just have the one lineup the all the way through. Like the first lineup of Desecrator was an unbelievable bunch of people and I still love them dearly. They were great musicians. I was uh, you know, kind of really fortunate to have them sign up. When I wrote the first batch of songs for Desecrator, I never planned on having a band in Australia. I just wrote some songs and found the best dudes I could to play them. They all learned the songs and of their own accord said, wow, 
there's something in this. We want to join up. Let's do some shows. So Desecrator happened. And I would have loved to have of those guys. But as we were talking about, the lifespan ended. They, they moved on. But in keeping the band going, of course, you replace people, you keep going. But there is that, that spot. You need to make sure that you have a certain quality control. Uh, I think in in what you present to people, so that you don't get a drift away of uh, the people listening to your band, and you also don't get that uh, that vague complacency from an audience who start to go, oh, I don't even know who's in this bloody band anymore, and then they just go on to the next thing, you know? So I think that there's a knife edge between the two um, that you need to, there's a balance. You need to, to, everyone you bring into your band has to have enough of an identity and enough potential to have staying power that you can create them an identity. Like, I feel like, for people who like Desecrator and for people who come to Desecrator shows, they know something of Jared's character, of Jerry's character. They're, they're enough individuals within the band that they are, they're a presence, they're members. So therefore, they would be missed if they left. Um, and I think that that's important in a band for everyone to have a, a small amount of personal identity for their own good, but also for the audience's good because, because audiences want to connect with who they listen to. They want to know the members of a band. I mean, think about it back to when you used to buy a heavy metal magazine and you used to look at the photos. You'd be like, oh, what, you know, what's the guitarist wearing? What's he into? And what's the drummer? Like, oh, fuck, look at his fringe. And, you know, you'd always want to get to know the members of the band and then you'd want to know something about them. I can remember being in primary school and being like, the, the singer from Metallica's name's James Hetfield. You know, just, just knowing their names was a thing, you know. Yeah. So you've got to be able to give people that that connection, that personality as well. So so you need to be wary with, with who you let into the band. Not only that they're thoroughly awesome people, like we were discussing at the start of where this thread's gone, but also people who are going to be there enough to solidify an identity that people can, that, that a listener can uh, can latch onto, you know, so that your band still has something that people can take ownership and, and pride over because I believe that that's a big part of of the difference between bands that people, that people remember and don't is that like, heavy metal fans in particular, I know I'm the same as a heavy metal fan. Um, they are... They they like having ownership over a band. They like having they like identifying with a band. They like connecting with a band. Uh, and the way to do that, apart from your actual songs, is your identity as a band and as an individual in the band. People want to be able to relate to you. They want to know a bit about you, especially if you go out like like touring in Russia. One of the biggest things uh, for us was the amount of conversation we had to have after a show every night, people just want to know everything about you because you come from a totally different land and place. So as members of a band, you need to, to have a, a strong enough identity that people can be interested in that and that I believe can take something away from it and go, yeah, wow, that dude from Desecrator, he, you know, he had this to say about this and that to say about that and, 
you know, so they can go not only on a song level, but when they put your album on, they can remember that experience as well. So I think that, that each member has to be solidified in a band enough that you kind of have that that connection with them as they're, well. You know? They're all ambassadors, really. Everyone in the band's an ambassador oh, absolutely. for, for absolutely. the brand of the band. You know, yeah. I mean, for us, we've, we, we've had that since, I mean, well, when I came on board, so when we changed mm. the name, uh, we 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 had like a conscious decision, and Tim was really good with this because he had a bit of mm. that from from the dungeon era, and mm. said to us, he goes, "Look, everyone has to be able to use their own personality into what Lord is. Lord isn't just about yeah. one person; it's about a collective, and it's about yeah. the people that are in it." and really encourage everyone just to be themselves and express themselves, but realize that whatever we are doing, we are being, um, we're in the public domain as well. So we have to be conscious yeah. about the way, be ourselves, but don't be a dick either. And so it's- well, yeah, That's a big mission statement with us too. Yeah. yeah. And so using that yeah. example that you just said about, you know, hanging around and spending that extra time talking to people in Russia yeah. where people just want to know about you, you want mm. people- that are ambassadors for your band that can stand there and have a conversation and be kind, genuine, patient, and yeah. and just be really, really cool and laid back and just be willing to just converse. And, and not everyone's a, a great conversationalist, and but if you've got basic manners, that's half the battle yeah. already. But for us, we've always, over the years, we've always pushed individual identities yeah. and we will yeah. take the piss out of each other and we'll do whatever it is, yeah. And but we make sure that it's real, as real as possible and just make sure that people can identify all of us in the band and we've had a revolving door of drummers over the last several years yeah, yeah. and we've got to yeah. a point now where the band really is Mark, Tim and myself and yeah. and then you know whoever gets behind the kit then that's fantastic and we bring them in and they're part of what we're doing at that period of time but ultimately yeah. The band is the three of us, and we've created yeah. those identities over the last decade, 15 yeah. years, for, yeah. for Tim, you know, 50 million years. And it's just, that's just what it is. But we we really take that seriously. So to hear you say that, I can completely mm. identify with it, absolutely. Yeah, and it's, it's often, I think, the key word you said in there, the one word that, that really stood out to me was um, the word patience. Because yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's face it, I mean, I fucking love talking to I love talking about heavy metal. I don't have a metal conversation with anyone ever. I just love it. I, I really, I haven't grown out of it. I love doing it. I don't care who you are. I'll sit down and talk to you about it. Um, but sometimes the the sheer quantity of spittle uh, <laughs> coming towards your face type region. Uh, based on the sheer quantity of consumed alcohol, uh, I've said punter. And especially if you're, say, Stone Cold Sober because you're driving after the show and uh, you've just performed that night, (laughs) there does come certain times and when the conversation is something like, you guys haven't written a great song since that first one that I liked Uh. or something of that or just like, (laughs) you sound a bit like Megadeth or something, you know, (laughs) and you're just like, ah, but at the same time, those conversations can be the fucking best because this dude, this drunk punter full of really, really active saliva um, (laughs) has decided that his time and energy is A, going to pay to get into your show and give you money. B, most likely, B, 
be talking to you at the merch desk. So he's probably bought a CD or a T-shirt. So he's invested in your band. And the last part of his transaction is he wants an experience of talking to the band. So he gives a fuck enough to have done all that, including watching your band for 40 minutes on the stage and wants to have a chat to you. Having a small chance and copying a little bit of spit is a very small price to pay based on his investment. He spent more money and time investing in me on that night than I have investing on him. So I owe him a fucking chat no matter how much spray I cop. <laughs> but <laughs> say that it's show 27 of 36 and he speaks terrible fucking English, sometimes it takes a deep breath or 10. <laughs> because... Because there's still beer backstage, there's still a catering table with some cold and wet ham on it, and there's still a lot of places that I could run to that aren't this spitty bloke. But we need spitty bloke. Spitty bloke is our guy. Without spitty bloke, we're nothing. So spitty bloke, we salute you, and we will talk to you. I'm not sure about why you're wearing a steel panther shirt, but I'll talk to you anyway, spitty bloke. I'll fucking talk to you anyway, and I'll bite my tongue on the fact that you're wearing a garbage T-shirt, spitty bloke. <laughs> I just wrote down splitty, a spitty bloke. I think I'm going to have to use that again somewhere. That's, uh, I, think, I think if there was anything to take out of this entire chat, I think it's, I think it's, this, I think it's spitty bloke. I think, uh, Everyone can identify with spitty bloke. I think everybody can, and I think that's a, there's a very important message there. And uh, yeah, fun to, the underlying thing of all that is patience. And Spitty Bloke's the great, the, the best example to articulate. <laughs> Speaking of Spitty Bloke, all right, because the, the hypothetical of Spitty Bloke is that Spitty Bloke's a fan. Mm. Now that touches on something that I've was struggled with always: the word fan. Do you use the word fan? Like, uh, like talking about a, your your base of people who like your band. No, I try. Band. I try not to use the word. I I try to. If I'm going to say and anything, we'll, it'll be friends or it be just people yep. who like the music. But I'm on the. Fence and why with do it. you try and avoid the word fan? Like, what is it about that word that would make you not pick it? Well, I think. Well, I don't know if it's a bit of a cultural thing because I think there's a bit of a tall mm. poppy syndrome thing here, and I think it's an ego yep. thing. So I think that's a bit wanky to to have. Okay, so and I put I put the association of worship around a fan as well. Yeah, but heard, okay. But I've heard other really good definitions of fan that that goes in the opposite direction, where it's dedication, yeah, yeah. people that will do whatever it takes because they believe so much in what you do, yeah. and they will support you in a whole range of different ways, and it's really positive. But I still, there's a lot of stigma and weight and baggage around that word. Yeah, I've always struggled with it. I don't use it either. I'm the same. I'll use friends. Uh, like, like, I'll find any other word. Rivet heads. Except for fan to describe a desecrator listener or supporter yeah um and there is i think that that part of it i totally agree with the on a local band level and i don't think this is melbourne sydney or australia local i think this is just in local scenes with bands who are trying to create a certain amount of smoke and mirrors and in my opinion going about it the wrong way is they start to use keywords before the keywords are applicable. Um, and one uh, uh, often used one is fan. They, they, they refer to their fans and their fans are 
at that point, their fans are normally 30 of their mates. They know all their first names and most of them are their friends. So fan kind of sounds degrading in that context because mm. it sounds almost belittling to people who are their friends and who are supporting them because at that point, if your friends are coming to your shows, they're doing it to help you out. They're doing it because... They, they think you've got half a chance and they see that you're really into this. It's like going to watch your friends play sport because their sporting event's really important. You're supporting them in what they're doing and they're giving it a go. So to then call them a fan, because I guess fan implies a massive of people that you do not know individually. Um, so to, so to put that term on a, on a local level to people you do know, is kind of like, oh, we thought we were your mates, but now we're just your fans kind of thing. And that never shook off with me. So I can't, I find it really fucking hard to use the word. Like, like even if I was saying desecrator fans in Russia, which would be a perfectly, I think, applicable term for people who dug my band, who own my band's album, and who would come and watch us again. That's an applicable term for it, but I feel yuck about saying it. Mm. I feel like I should say, like, all the guys we met in Russia or, like, some our pals over in Russia. Like, I don't know. I think that it's it's hard to to use the word. I, I see it as a, as a kind of dirty word, and I think that, that it comes also from, like, I see... The band, the crowd dynamic of the band being the the entity that, that plays music. So we perform on stage under lights. We write songs that we want the people to react to. So in that original form, in most music came from storytelling through song or from entertainment in in a kingly court. So in a lot of ways, I see the band as kind of the, the jester of the night. Like we're doing the juggling act. The crowd have paid to get in to show us their attention. So therefore we're putting on a show to seek their approval to get their reaction to then convert them into being on our side and favourable to us so that we can survive on all levels, like monetary or or just playing a grouse gig and feeling awesome about whatever. So the crowd are kind of the ones calling the shots because if the crowd hate it and walk out, it's a shit gig. But if the crowd get heaps into it and hang off the roof, it's a sick gig. So the crowd are therefore in charge of how night by night it goes and they're the ones in charge of, of whether they tell their friends or come back or whatever. Therefore, how, like calling them, again, the fans of the band, it seems strange to call them something that isn't the dominant in charge. Like, like you'd almost call them the leaders in a way, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know, it's, it's strange. And I only bring it up because it's something that, that every time I see a band write it, I struggle with it. So I don't know, like I don't think it's wrong and I don't think less of a band who just call their fans fans because it's, it's an applicable term for your group of people who are into your band. But I personally just find it awkward. 
I, think I find it's, it really strange. I think it's, I mean, it's better used as a as a verb, as a doing word, where it's like I'm a fan of something. Like I, yeah, in, yep. instead of, yeah, absolutely, yeah, me having the the noun, the, the naming word yeah. as me being yep. identified as a fan. And I yeah, think, using it yeah as a singular to yourself, like using it applicable to yourself, is a is a very positive use of it. Yeah, so you know, you got friends that are a fan of what you do. It's still, it's still yeah. a little bit weird. I, I would just still say they're just friends that support. Oh, you support instead of yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. But it, I think, yeah. it, I think it just comes down to the context. And I think for what you guys do and your whole, you know, your code of ethics of what desecrate mm. is all about, you know, using that word is just, it's just not appropriate because it just, it just doesn't make sense in the context of yeah. what you guys have created. And then maybe there might be. There might be other bands out there where that label works a little bit better in in their context, but I get it. I'm on the same page as you, and I struggle with it. Yeah. And, I've, and I've heard some, I've heard other people uh, stumble around that word, and I've heard some good definitions of people explaining it in a really, really positive yeah. way. But I think, and I've and I've only sort of just worked this out, verbalising it now, where I think yeah. if it's if it's used in a way of describing someone's actions rather than what somebody is, yeah. and I think that sits a lot better. I think that 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 is the best. I've heard it articulated. I'm glad. I'm glad we, we touched there. on it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, cool. I'm glad we got there. Like I feel comfortable that the the word has a positive application now. Because um, I'm definitely a fan of heaps of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm a fan of UGG boots. That's for sure. Like <laughs> like high ones too. Like I'm not up for a slipper UGG boot. Nah, you know, crap. The they're turned crap. over moccasin stuff. Nah. Well, what the fuck? Like, What's why yours? am I leaving my ankle out of a party? Yeah. <laughs> what? What? Like, the bridge of my foot, fucking freezing, gonna cramp, gonna die, the ankle, perfectly warm. Don't need to cover that. Bullshit, you don't need to cover that. Give me a sock and a tube of insulated shit over it. <laughs> I think that I'd boot is higher and... And when you get the, the hybrid oak boots, if you wear your skinny trash jeans, which I don't own anything but skinny trash jeans, um, <laughs> and your oak boots, you look like Britney Spears did in the 2000s. <laughs> which is obviously a goal for most men with, with scallops like my haircut. Um, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. I had my scallop trimmed last night. That was a big thing. People don't seem to... It's weird. Oh, right, so my haircut, yeah. For yeah, the, actually, for let's the, let's touch on this because I th- I'm yeah. I'm quite curious myself. It's a it's it's a look that you've got, and you're yeah. identified with it. And um, yeah, tell it's me more. Cr- it's crazy um, how much this haircut has actually become a thing. <laughs> I never thought it was going to be an identifying mark, not only for Desecrator but for me as a human. And even for Melbourne thrash metal, like, it's become a thing that's bigger than me. And I never thought that was going to be a thing. This is just a fucking haircut. But, like, it's gotten to the point where people send me photos of cutting their kids' hair into my haircut. <laughs> like, they'll come to death. Like, there was, I remember the, the first example was hilarious, man. We were... We were on tour, uh, on tour in Australia with Havoc and King Parrot, and um, we were playing the Melbourne show, and before the show, this chick who knew King Parrot, and kind of us, but more King Parrot, came down with her, like, like maybe grade two, grade three age kid. Uh, they came down to watch Soundcheck. 
before the doors had opened. And uh, he was cool. I think he was um, a little bit like like shy. That was a big thing for him coming to the gig. Had his earmuffs on and he watched Soundcheck. Anyway, they have a good time, whatever. They go home. I get a message the next day. He's gone into the bathroom, locked the door, gotten out the clippers and shaved a skeleton in his own fucking head. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I'm so sorry. And she's like, no, I think it's fucking hilarious. I'm going to see how long he keeps this before he wants me to shave the back bit off. And apparently it's stuck for ages. But this is, it's a thing. And even my hairdresser, the chick who, like I don't get a lot of haircuts, but the chick who kind of maintains it, she uses me and Z as an example to when she gets young dudes in who don't know what to do with the fact they're going a bit bald, she uses me as a great example of here's a positive thing you can do with what <laughs> hair you have left and still look like a tough bloke without just doing the eventual shave it all off. I've become a fucking spokesman for masculinity in male pattern baldness. It's insane. <laughs> it's absolutely insane. So, so to explain it to anyone uh, who's listening who hasn't seen my hair, a scullet is a mullet, but taken to the next extreme. So I've, all I've got left is the fucking party at the back, and it's a hell of a party. It's down to my shoulder blades, and the rest is a is basically a skinhead or like a, a number one or a number two grown in. Um, <laughs> look, man, it was fully – I had long hair for as, for as long as I could have it. You look at all the early desecrated shots, I've got a, I've got a full head of dime bag, Daryl curly hair, and I used to fucking love it. And uh, But it ran out, as it does. And and this was just something that, like, I remember I'd seen um, uh, the singer from Psychroptic, whose name escapes me right now. Um, he... Who, Pep? Played, the, yeah, 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 Pep Jason used to have Pep. a little... It was more of a rat's tail oh, vibe, yeah, but yeah. it was it was kind of from the <laughs> middle of his head and it used the windmill at the back. And yeah. I remember looking at it when I used to go to Psycho when I was young going, that's cool. Like, I don't know... I don't know how he's come to that conclusion, but that's cool. Um, and the, uh, Jason from The Wolves, who were a huge band in my upbringing. Like, I fucking yeah. loved that band when I was young. They were the main reason I wanted to play in an Australian heavy metal band. Jason from The Wolves had, like, a kind of the same as him. It was kind of more of a rat's tail vibe. And I'd seen a lot of crust punks and a lot of D-beat bands that kind of done the you shave the front, you shave the side. And just kind of leave the back to be like a peacock's tail out the back of your head. <laughs> so when it came time to, to deal with the fact that I was getting a bit of a bald spot, uh, I, I was just like, you know what? I don't want to be one of those accidental dudes who hangs onto it and it looks like I'm just going disgracefully. But I also, I don't want to just go straight from, from, from having a full head of hair to nothing. Like, like I fell into the trap. I think a lot of people were, would kind of see it the same way is that you do see metal bands as dudes with long hair. It's it's the way we grow up envisaging heavy metal because we're all headbangers. It's the way that it's part of the culture. And there was a bit of a feeling as the frontman of a band and as the face of a band and the guy who's the kind of the driving spokesman of the band, there was a, a bit of insecurity out there of if I shave, if I shave my hair off, what's going to happen? Am I still going to be Riley from Desecrator? Am I going to, you know, there was a bit of anxiety attached around it. So there was kind of a, a serious thought. So I, I did it and I just 
shaved off the front and gave it a go and got this scullet. And, man, I say it all the time. Life started at scullet. Like, it really... <laughs> my, my, I can't describe... So I was single during all that era. And I, you know, being in a... I was always um, quite a band focus. I'd rather talk to that drunk punter about Slayer after a show than try and chat up a girl. And you know what the metal scene's like. There's, there's three girls and you know them all. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's not exactly a dating site for metalheads anyway. So I was like I was rolling in birds when I had long hair. But I swear that the minute I shaved my fucking head into the rudest haircut you could ever get, all of a sudden my life changed and people noticed Riley. So <laughs> it was it was crazy. And and it just it just kind of grew from there. Like it was it was never a I'm going to keep this haircut forever type of thing, but it became my fucking identity. Within two seconds, it was, oh, you know that dude with the skullet from Desecrator or Desecrator's that band with the skullet or, (laughs) you know, Riley, he's the guy with the fucking skullet with the hair on the back of his head. And people were just, like, whenever I'd go out, people were just all about it. They're talking about it. Dudes are cutting their hair into it and coming up and proudly showing me, like, as if I've given them the encouragement they needed. And I was like, fucking hell, this is a thing. I can't get rid of it now. And then I, I hooked up with my missus, who I've now been with for, for four years, and she says it's a limb. If I cut it off, it's like losing a limb. And yeah. It's going to leave me. <laughs> but now I can't even get rid of the fucking thing. She doesn't want to be with an amputee, so I have to keep the damn haircut. <laughs> But the funny thing, the best thing about this is that, you know, if anyone who doesn't know you and sees you walking around or you're on stage or whatever and that haircut and, you know, you're wearing, you're wearing denim, denim jeans, you might have some leather or something like that on, you're wearing a band t-shirt, you got your tats, everything, stereotypically people might go, Ooh, uh, don't know about that guy. I might just uh, steer clear and not make eye contact. But yeah, then, totally. But then anybody who actually meets you and you open your mouth, then <laughs> everyone just goes, "Oh my god, what a champion!" And then everyone's oh, just, it's been and, a, yeah, it's been a huge part of my life that people meet me after a show, especially after playing a desecrate show, because I get accused of a lot of eyebrow movement while I um, <laughs> play gigs too. Apparently I'm very eyebrow expressive. Yeah, yeah. Um, but people take that and they you know, they go, fuck, he's just something out of Mad Max too. He's going to yeah. fucking eat us alive and take the fuel out of our car. But then they meet me and they're like, oh, we thought you were going to be a real hard ass. I'm like, nah, not at all. I'm not even pretending I'm a hard ass. Like, if you piss me off, I'll tell you to get fucked. But short of that, I'll be lovely. I'd I like a chat. Let's have a chat. <laughs> you know, but but it is all part of that, and it does help. You know, we travel overseas and whatever, and people always come up with it and go, "What is what is this hair called? What what is? I think this hair is very extreme for Australia. You know, people always come up and ask about it, like, what is? So my standard line is, mate, I'll tell you, I'll tell you about it. Right, so. <laughs> I got in a fight with a lawnmower, and the lawnmower, you should see the fucking lawnmower. Yeah. And, and every time it gets me out of it, then by the time that's done, I'm like, buy a CD, fuck off. So, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. it's a good conversational starter. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, the skullet, look, it's, it's just become it's become part of me. So, for last night, I got, a, I got a trim, which is rare. But you've got to keep it healthy. That's the other thing. Like, like I kind of... Because the only bit of my hair that's left is behind me. It's not my fucking problem. I can't see it. 
it's everyone else's problem. Like the back bit, all I see in a mirror is a shaved head, so I don't know about the other bit. But if I'm going to have it for a long time, I keep getting told you've got to like trim it. It's it's long hair. It's like when you had long hair. you got to cut it. you got to layer it. you got to do this. Uh, oh, for fuck's sake. I thought I'd left all that behind. I thought I was just a couple of clippers to just shave the front bit so I didn't like end up looking like Danny DeVito after a couple of months. <laughs> but, um, but no, I've got to go get haircuts, man. Scarlet haircuts. It's insane. I would never have thought that whatsoever. So no, even, even I learned something. Amazing. There are only like three. It's like two, two a year, and the and my a good friend of mine's my girlfriend's a hairdresser, so at least it's going to a known quantity. And she thinks it's fucking hilarious. I drive like forty minutes to get to her salon. It <laughs> takes her under five minutes to trim what's left of my fucking hair, <laughs> and then she laughs. She's like, "You're done." <laughs> like so uh, you're gonna charge me this time she's like I didn't do anything it's like five hairs on your fucking head <laughs> oh man that's crazy oh it just I mean it's it goes back to what you said before about having identity in the band and having different personalities and that's just yeah. I mean, that's just one aspect of what you guys are all about and it yeah. makes, makes you guys unique and it's a bit of fun and it and it feeds into the the identity of what the band is and it's just i mean that's 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 what that's what bands try to fun. try to work out themselves and you just yeah you just naturally yeah, just gone finding away. a character i think that that a a big part of desecrators um like I don't want to say success because I hate using the word success uh, like uh, in application of my own band because in my eyes, we're still a striving band. I've still got a set of goals that I want to achieve and still got a lot more that I want to do. So I don't like using success because it sounds a bit contrived. Like I think that we've done a whole lot of stuff or whatever. But, um, But I think part of what has helped people get on board for lack of a better way of saying it, uh, with Desecrator over the years is um, that we have embraced that character that 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 is overly originally Australian to be a character. Australians yeah. are larrikins. Like, like that's almost an obsolete term in our society these Absolutely, days. I mean, yeah. like larrikinism is almost not understood with the the twenty something set of the of these days, you know. But um, but that original Australian thing of being of being that that over the top bush cocky larrikin, there's a certain amount of that which I think that people still have in their DNA in this country, and I think that people still connect with overseas when they think about Australians, and that's something that. That I definitely enjoy about this band. I mean, again, much like the knife edge of having a revolving door of members, there's a knife edge of parody as opposed to serious. Desecrated is not a joke band. It's not a parody band, and I'd hate for people to see it in that way. Um, but there's a lot of wiggle room between serious, eat-your-face thrash metal and character reference within it you know okay. i think like like if you think about uh the name mad max came up before you think about the the mad max films they're they're very very typically australian in the same way i'm talking about it in that they're both serious and affecting movies you'd see them as as dramas um but at the same time they've got 
Australian, uh, that kind of larrikin is like like individual character development on the edge of comedy inside them. Like there's those those little kind of moments in the people like within the whole framework of the film that you can be a little bit lighthearted. You can be a bit of a character a characterization of your serious self. You can overly dramatize certain aspects of yourself so that it's a bit of almost a parody, but it's still who you are type of thing. And I think that's something I've always encouraged in this band and it's fun, you know, like, like why not push it to the extreme, you know? It's a little bit of like taking the piss, still, isn't it? Like just like, yeah. and not in an extreme way, but just a little bit of that where you play, well, just, you're playing it up a little bit. Yeah. Being able to have a laugh at yourself and take the piss and say, would you look at how tight my fucking pants are? Like <laughs> fucking hell, these pants are tight, but, I'm still wearing the shit out of them, but they're tight, you know. And would you look at my fucking haircut? You don't have the balls to have a haircut like my haircut, but would you have a fucking look at it, you know? And I think that that's that's important and that's an endearing thing that the rest of the world identify with. We live in a serious fucking world. So I think we can be by stereotype, like as Australians, by stereotype, the same as the Irish can, the same as a lot of cultures who are, uh, funnily enough, are stereotyped with binge drinking too, but <laughs> cultures that are stereotyped with having a sense of humour about themselves and about the greater world. I think that we have a limited kind of a bit more rope to be able to do that whilst not becoming a joke, and I fully fucking take advantage of it. I think it's great. No rule. I really enjoy being able to, to run the flip side of being a serious heavy metal band and saying, well, fuck you, I'm just as underground as everyone else, but also saying, but I can take the piss out of the fact that you're underground, you can't, <laughs> you know? Like, it's a it's a fun plane to exist on. It's a fun plane to be to be able to, to, to kind of play up and characterise what we are as as heavy metal people, you know. I think it's just a great way of connecting with people. I think that's how yeah. probably a lot of a lot of uh, you know metalheads get along. Is that you know it's it's the it's the pointing in the street of wearing like a similar t shirt or a band that you like, and then you know drinking and and having a good time yeah. and just you know joking. And you don't even have things. to. Sometimes when you see the person in that shirt, you don't even have to say nothing. You're just like, you just <laughs> look at each other, make a noise with each other. You're both really stoked. Yeah, and then it. you walk Day's away made. and you analyze you analyze the transaction. You're just like, what the fuck? I mean, how did we decide <laughs> that we could do that to each other in the streets? Are two dudes in Eminem shirts doing that? No, they're fucking stabbing each other. Like, it's so much fun to be a metalhead if you're looking for the fun part of it. And I think you're totally right. It's a it's a great way to connect with people and and to kind of meet people. At the same time. If you fucking make a joke out of my band, I will tear your fucking head off and feed it to you. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> I fucking dare you. Well, <laughs> there's a line, and don't cross yeah. it. Yeah, I dare you, fan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, fucking hell. So, so what's? I mean, 
we mentioned this right at the start, and you're going through a bit of a, a bit of an uncomfortable period for yourself personally because you're so used to yeah. over the last several years being you know gallivanting around the globe. But yeah. what's what's the rest of the year look like? Have you got plans for later in the year, or is is yeah. this year going to be a bit of a just a, a, a planning sort of year for you guys? What's yeah. it to look like? So this year has been a regroup year. Uh, it's a it, it's a writing, creating, recording year, uh, and we've decided to not cattle gate that with a tour. Uh, so we are currently we're riding and we're two thirds of the way into what's looking like being a really really strong heavy metal album so we're really we want to like there's a sense and I don't quite know where it's coming from but we all feel a sense that this album's a really important one um, and it's it's something that's become a dramatic enough feeling between the band members that we talk about it openly now about the importance of it. We don't quite know why yet, um, but it feels that way. So we're all in a mindset to pay respect to that by giving it whatever time frame it needs, mm. uh, which is really fucking hard and rare for us to say. <laughs> but it feels like the time to say it, and yeah. it feels cool to say it, to be honest. It's scary, but it's cool. But So we're really just... We're going to spend this year, we need to write and record the album that defines us, um, that really says this is exactly where we are and and the foot that we want to put forward. Um, there's, there's plans already for what the tour cycle, I mean, you know, typical desecrator, we already know what we want to do with the product once it's out, even though we don't have the fucking product. <laughs> but we already know where we want to go. So we've got big plans for next year, and there's there's already some some penciled offers and things happening um, for 2019. So we've decided that 2018 is a great time for everyone to do a bit of maintenance in the background on their lives, uh, on their you know family life, work life, and just just get the stability back in our personal lives whilst we create a great album that we're super pumped on to then go out and really stretch the, the fabric of how far we can go with it, uh, you know, from next year on. Because the, as we and I talked about before, and as you mentioned, um, this band does have a, a lot of business ethic to it. So we do plan, everything's planned in, in five-year cycles. We sit down and we make five-year business plans and then Within that, we have a, a two-year framework. We have our rollout of what an album touring cycle is going to look like. And then, of course, we modify it as we go, depending on what opportunities come up, what things don't pan out, and all that kind of stuff. So it really is. Uh, we've got a show coming up in late June at the Bendigo, which is just a local headliner for us in Melbourne, uh, which is a rare thing, uh, which is strange to say, like, like historically, we were at that fucking joint every other month. Like that was our home, yeah. and we play so many shows there. But at some point, we just stopped playing local shows. Like we we're doing so many shows overseas. We we're playing a lot of international supports in Australia, and we just weren't doing locals anymore. It just seemed that it, that it didn't pop up. So, an opportunity's come up to play to play a local with a, a really cool lineup of younger bands that are doing stuff that we're really vibed on like it's the first 
lineup that I've been involved in a while, but all three other bands on it, I'm mega pumped to expose to, to anyone who comes. Like, it's really healthy thrash metal coming out. And um, it's a really exciting gig. So I've been really uh, involved in organising that. We're going to do that. We've got a mystery guitarist, which is uh, yet unannounced, um, who's going to play our set, uh, which is a bit of a thing uh, once the name comes out. It's a, it's a bit of a, I think it's a bit of a, well, I'm excited. I'll say that much. Like, I'm excited at who it is. And it's someone from a place that people will recognize. So it, um, it's going to be a fun thing. And I'm really excited to play a local show. It's going to be cool. We've got a, a festival up in Brisbane, uh, the dead of winter in, um, yeah. in July. And that's like, apart from those shows, we're not going out and seeking them this year. If they, like, if shows come in, then we're definitely taking them. Um, but I'm not actively booking the band at the moment because we really want to focus on the record. And we really just want to explore this feeling of importance that we have for a record because we've never fucking had that feeling for a record before. Like, like we've always known, you know, you've got to bring out an amazing record because you want to get signed, you want to do this, you want to go to the next point. But, I don't know, this this feeling at the moment, it just has a lot of weight on it. And where all the members, like me, Jared and Jerry, we've got this this great feeling of this needs to, to take as long as it takes. Like, uh, the riffs are coming fast and thick at the moment and it's all sounding really cool and everyone's really pumped. But even if it starts to slow, that, that we've got to pay at the time of day because it feels like we're onto something. Um, so again, because of the way that we are lucky enough to have engineered this band, that it is based on our goal sets and our time frame, we are just going to focus on it, man. Hopefully it'll be, uh, done, shopped and released by someone exciting by the end of the year. We've got a lot of, lot of labels looking in from overseas since that airborne exposure was really great for us. Uh, a lot of ums and ahs happening, so I'm hoping if we put something pretty meaty in front of them, they'll dig a fork into it. But even if they don't, well, it hasn't stopped us so far. Well, that's it. I mean, <laughs> you, you, you're creating your own rules and, and sticking by them. So, you know, yeah. just keep doing your well, thing. Fuck them, man. Fuck them, man. We'll just keep going. Why not? <laughs> just, just keep doing it. Fuck them. Like, like, who made them the boss anyway? <laughs> Whoever they are, yeah. them, the man, yeah, the, the man. man's trying to get us down, man. <laughs> Fuck the man, you know. Fuck the man, let's and just, just keep out there. Focus. Man, the bands run the scene because we put the fucking <laughs> the products out. The bands run the scene so the crowd can decide if the scene exists. That's it. There's and another awful word: the word "scene." No. <laughs> Do you find the word scene dirty? Community's a much better word than scene. Community. I'm glad we can. Geez, I'm glad we can go back and edit all that out. <laughs> um, we can do that, right? Um, but, but scene, scene implies fad. Fad implies quick burn. Fad implies corn. Oh, you know, like, yeah. like oh. new metals. No, 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 not corn because they've stood the test of time. Like regardless of yeah, what you think of them, they're still going. They, yeah, and they still pull big crap. Coal chamber. Coal Chamber is scene. There you go. Um, that's a band that implies scene. Community. Community is a better word. That's like people coming together for a joint interest in like 
knitting. There's a there's a knitting community, so so community could be applicable to heavy metal. So I like community. Let's All go right, with that. Done, done. The, the metal community, you know, they the metal community seem like people who march on Parliament, like you know, to get noise restrictions thrown out or something. Not that metalheads would ever march anywhere. They don't. They're not big marches. Well, um, you got to get them. You got to get them to spitty bloke stage, and then maybe you might be able to convince them. Maybe. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a good way to end it. Get your get you yeah. uh, end you on a high, and um, man, like, thank you so much. Fucking quality no. chat. No, man. Thank you for the conversation. I look. I I was starting to get paranoid. I'm going to be honest with you. I was starting to to really feel like I was the only dude in a band or involved in heavy metal that you weren't going to talk to. I was thinking, what the fuck have I done to Andy? I must have done something. I'm pretty sure I remember only good transactions with him. <laughs> I must have said something. Did I kick a dog or something? I don't know what I've done. It's been nothing and, but great then, transactions. Nothing but then great. I remembered. Yeah. Then I remembered after that I'd gotten over that. I remembered it's okay because as much as the barrel has cream in the top of it, it's still got a little bit of cream to be scraped out of the bottom. And that's just <laughs> where I am in Andy's life. <laughs> Mate, just as, just as you with Desecrator and me with this podcast, we're only just getting started. So I've got a long way to go. Good. But um, I like I t- it. I'll tell you what, I have been trying so hard to line it up so we could actually sit down and do this. Yeah, so we actually got this. Yeah. But you realise, I was thinking about this today, that that because there was a good period there where we were running into each other quite semi-regularly at just stuff and things, um, now that we've gone and pulled the trigger and done this, I'm going to see you really soon. Yeah, that's exactly right. (laughs) I'm definitely going to see you soon. And frequently. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It doesn't yeah. mean there's no rules. We can keep doing this. We'll keep recording them. We'll just create a whole new podcast. We'll make a whole series just based on our conversation. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> based on our on our ever-evolving views of fans and special guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I'm using that term. I'm using that term. <laughs> I'll credit you. Uh, <laughs> Gutsy, man. Thanks right, for man. the chat, though. I yeah, appreciate likewise, it, man. I fucking man. love it. It's been All a good right. Friday night for me. Yep, tops. All right, man. Take yeah. care. Thanks, folks. What a legend. Thanks, Riley. Really appreciate the time that you gave. And if you want to learn more about Riley and Desecrator, you can go to desecrator.net. You can search for Desecrator on Facebook and YouTube. Um, there's heaps and heaps of stuff. As I said, their website's really, really cool. Um, but as it, as always, if you want to just find everything in one central place, you can just go to the show notes over at andysocial.net. Nice and easy for your convenience, of course. So that's it, guys. Another week is wrapped up. Thank you so much. I appreciate all the support. As always, uh, I have been bulk recording like a madman over the last uh, couple of weeks. So I have so many episodes in uh, the bag. I'm ready to unleash them in the coming weeks and uh, some really, really uh, cool and definitely some out there guests. So um, I won't reveal too much, but uh, stay tuned. There's a lot of good stuff coming. So thank you so much for the support. As always, if you want to support the podcast, all the social media love, sharing stuff around, recommending the podcast to mates um, and you know, buying t-shirts, leaving reviews, all that kind of stuff, it just means a hell of a lot to me. But the fact that you are listening to me crap on right now Thank you very much. And until next week, guys, take care. Ta-ta. Larry. Larry, please.